Hey guys, we are in our second to last sermon in our Embracing Exile series. It's been an amazing time going through the book of 1 Peter. We've been talking about embracing exile, what that means for the church, what that means for the people of God as we are in this world. And as you saw on the bumper, there's so many transitions that we've been talking about that we want you to, to live in. And today, one of those uh, is from consumerism to consummation. Now, like I've been saying throughout this entire series, it's not that the first part is, is evil and bad, and we want to get rid of, uh, in this case, consumerism, and, and then fully go into consummation. Uh, because here's, here's the reality. We, we consume. We are consumers. And we, there's been this kind of move in the church to say, oh, we need to not be a, not just be, or not be consumers and we need to move away from, from being a, 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 having a culture of consumerism. And, uh, but our reality is guys, um, whether you like it or not, you are a consumer. I am a consumer, you're a consumer. We live in a culture of consumerism. We're all capitalists here, basically. And, and, and we consume. And now, the question is, how much and for what purpose? How much are you consuming and for what purpose are you consuming and what are you consuming? Right, because the Bible actually talks about consuming. It says, and, and Peter talks about it before this. He says, if indeed, in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 2, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So, you have consumed the Lord. Now, 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 to what purpose? You've tasted that he is good. Now, for what purpose? To multiply things to other people, right? So there's, there's a, because he says, let others see your good works. Let them see your good deeds. Then they may glorify God. So that's all the same passage. So we do consume. We don't need to get rid of that. We don't need to completely um, disregard it. Let's just acknowledge it. Let's admit it. Let's own it. Now, how do we transition from, from, from just consuming to, to consummation? That's the transition here. That's the key. We want to we, we wanna not, because when you just consume, the reality is it's about you. Consummation is about him. It's about Jesus Christ. He has, he has, uh, he has ushered in the kingdom of God. He has inaugurated it. He's going to bring it to consummation in all its fullness. And us as a people of God, we are now partakers in that. We have joined him in that. That is a big part of embracing exile. It's recognizing that we have joined in the mission of God with Jesus Christ, the king, the king of kings, to bring his kingdom here on earth. So that his will that's done in heaven is also done here on earth. That's what we're part of. Ministers of reconciliation, emissaries of the truth, ambassadors for Christ. Right? The, those are all, that is your destiny. That is our purpose. That is what we are doing in embracing exile. Because guess what? When we started or when God created this world, he created us to be partakers in creating with him in perpetuating the divine nature. That's why he placed his image in us. He was making the world, he was making the earth to be his temple. 
Well, we ruined all that back in Genesis chapter 3. And God put his plan on hold in order to bring us back to him so that we would be image bearers, creators, uh, partakers of the divine nature, as, as Peter says, alongside him. And a big part of that is, 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 is these transitions, is embracing exile. And today, again, we're talking about how do we just move from, how do we move from just consuming to now being part of the consummation of all things? Colossians chapter one, right? How do we help? How do we partake in reconciling all things to God through Christ, through Christ Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit? So here in chapter five, in 1 Peter, verse 5, he starts off with saying, likewise, likewise, you who are younger, likewise what? Well, we, we got to figure out what's he, what does he mean there? What is he talking about there? Likewise what? Well, like, like what? Well, go back to chapter 5, verse uh, 1, where he talks, talks to the elders. And Adam just preached on, on those four verses where he's talking to the leaders of the of the people of God here, the leaders of the church, the, the, the elders here, he's talking to them and, and he lists all these things. I'm not going to reiterate all that. Uh, but here, but, but a lot of it is don't exercise over, don't, don't, um, uh, exercise oversight through compulsion, through coercion, do it willingly. Uh, don't domineer. Uh, basically you need to be an example of the flock. You need to humble yourself. You need to do so in humility, because Jesus is the chief shepherd. And so he says, likewise, uh, likewise, those who are not elders, those who are younger, those who are not leaders, those who are followers, those who aren't, uh, those who aren't tasked with this over here, those who are just coming alongside and co-laboring, he says, likewise, be subject to the elders in the same way. So in the same way he speaks to the elders and the leaders over here in verses one through four, he's saying, likewise, in the same way, you need to act accordingly. So he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, all of you, elders, leaders, uh, lay people, fathers, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call this, the people of God, clothe yourselves, all of you with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's a direct quote from Proverbs chapter three, verse 34. Uh, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Peter uh, is quoting that proverb here. And so it's, it's like, it's something they all would have known, right? They all would have been familiar with that. They, they all would have known. Okay. Yes. Um, we know that. Uh, and, and Peter quotes that for them to remind them of that. So he uses this word to clothe yourself. Now, in, in, the, in the New Testament, this word is only used once, and it's used here. Uh, but it also has, but, but you also see this happening all throughout the New Testament where he says, put on certain things. So you see in Romans 13, for instance, Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And in Colossians 3, uh, Paul says, put on as God's beloved ones, Meekness, patience, uh, humility is one of those things. Uh, let me make sure I'm getting, I'm getting those right. Colossians chapter 3. He says, yes, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. 
bearing with one another, right? Forgiving one another. So you see their humility is in Colossians 3. It's here as well. Clothe yourselves, all of you. So everybody, not just the leaders, not just the followers, everybody. If, you're, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are part of the people of God, if you're part of the church, clothe yourselves, not with victory, Clothe yourselves not with pride. Clothe yourselves not with uh, anything else but humility. Humility. And I mentioned this a few weeks back uh, when we talked about, in, in First Peter chapter 3, these five characteristics of the church, uh, that humility is one of those things that we all say, even in the culture outside of the church, we all say is a good virtue, but very few of us live in humility. Very few of us embody humility. I mean, guys, he's, he's talking to church leaders in the first four verses here, and church leaders are the worst at this. They're, the, some, they're some of the worst people at embodying humility. Now, that's not all of them. I don't want to paint uh, too broad of a stroke here. Uh, those are the ones that we see that are, you know, we, we see them on social media, on on. Um, news and, and all those things. Uh, humility isn't, isn't the, chief, the chief virtue there necessarily. Um, but there are a lot of leaders. Like I know, I know uh, some, some church leaders in, uh, in a nation, I won't, I won't say, uh, that the church is, ex- is exploding there. Like it is is like it is like wildfire there it's it's growing it's people are are coming to christ like it is just like spreading like crazy there and there's some of the most humble people you would ever meet you would have no idea who uh, you'd have no idea they're they're responsible for uh all these people coming to faith you just haven't they're they're so humble they're so deferential uh, they honor everyone, as Paul says. They, they, um, uh, they, they actually live out the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Uh, they're, they're not the ones who are going to try to speak first. They listen well. They clothe themselves in humility. And so for us, as the people of God, that goes for everybody. It goes for leaders, that goes for those who aren't leaders that we will clothe ourselves with humility. And guys, when, when you can do that, you don't care about power grabbing. You don't care about who's first. It doesn't matter to you because you want the other people to be first. You want the other person to succeed. You're there to help others. Guys, if, you, if, if that was a big part of your Christian walk, your Christian faith, helping others, not just looking to your own interests, as Philippians 2 says, but looking to the interests of others, that was a big part of, uh, of your mentality and your perspective. It would move you significantly from, consumer, for, from consuming to consummation. Like, that's all you need. If, guys, if you can just learn to be humble, if you can just, just because here's the thing, Peter's going to give us three things to live out. He's going to give us three commands, three imperatives. He's going to say in verse 6, humble yourselves. He's going to say in verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. He's going to say in verse 9, 
resist the enemy, resist the devil. And the question you should have is, how? Like, that's great, Peter, but how do I do that? What does that look like? Well, he's starting to show us in in, in verse 5 here. He's starting to show us, you need to clothe yourself with with humility. You need need to just, just start by knowing you have to do that. Just start there. Don't, don't start anywhere else. Start with you. You have to clothe yourself with humility. Because I keep on repeating that because we just don't get it. We've read it here. You've heard me say it. Now, hopefully, we're going to experience doing that together. Because we, we can just read this and bypass it so quickly, so easily. And that's why we see so many different grievances in the church. We see so many different abhorrent things that the quote-unquote church does. But guys, if you're not clothed in humility, I don't know if you're part of the people of God. We have to wear that. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his example. He humbled himself, Philippians 2 says, in the form of a servant. Not in the form of a conquering warrior. He did that, but he, he did conquer. He, he is, God is a warrior, but he didn't do it through the ways of the world. He did it through humility. He did it through meekness. He did it through compassion, through love. Guys, this is maybe, yeah, maybe this is for, for leaders. Maybe this is for, for everybody. Um, but when you're clothed in humility, if, if, if you were to say God has called you to lead Trinity Life Church and you're kind of to come and tell me that, I would have no problems with that. I would have zero problems with that. Because we, we would hopefully be in an in a relationship of mutual humility, where we're mutually humbling ourselves before one another and willingly doing so. Guys, do you realize I'm only leading this church because God tasked me with it? But if you were to say God has tasked you with it, then I'd be like, okay. Like, I'm... Like, that's what clothed in humility is. Like, it's not, like, there's no power grab there. There's no, oh, I have to, and, and that's the example he's trying to give us in, in verses one through four that leads into this. Is that you have to be leaders like that. You have to be people of God like that. Guys, I didn't even plan on leading a church. Like, it just happened because I was living on mission for God. And I guarantee you, once you start living on mission in a full way, people start following you. That's just how it works. That's how it worked with Jesus. That's how it worked with the disciples. That's how it works in church plants. Like, well, some of them. We didn't come in here and say, I'm, I didn't declare myself as the leader. We just started living on mission together. And I operate in my gifts, and hopefully I can help you operate in your gifts. That's how the people of God should look. 
It's not, it's not that there's, there's one, one uh, person domineering over everybody else. It's, one, it's, it's multiple people humbly submitting themselves to each other out of reverence for Christ Jesus. It's Ephesians. It's Ephesians. It's, it's First Peter here. Humble yourselves. Wear humility, he says. And so these three things, these three commands, he says, uh, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Yeah, let's read through verse 7 too. Uh, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Okay, so he says to do this, to, to humble yourselves, and it's a command, under the mighty hand of God. So this is the only time in the New Testament that this phrase is used, the mighty hand of God. You see the hand of God in the Gospels and and things like that, but, but with the adjective mighty, this is the only time it's used. And this is a direct reference to it being used in the Torah, in the Old Testament. You see it in Exodus, and you see it multiple times through Deuteronomy, this mighty hand of God. And it always references God's deliverance, God's freedom, God's salvation for the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery into and going towards the promised land. It, it is always in reference to that. And, and, and so guys, uh, and, and every time it's used in the Torah, remember, it's pre-promised land. It's in the wilderness. It's in the exile. They've left something, they're in the exile, they're going towards the promised land. Guys, we're not in the promised land yet. We're in the exile. Our job is to get the people of God to the promised land, is to usher in the kingdom of God. That's where we experience God's true rest and shalom and presence and peace, right? as, as Isaiah says. So, here, the mighty hand of God is, is used because he's reminding us of something. What happened in the wilderness there? Well, uh, God cared for them, and he notes that here in verse 7. God provided them food. They didn't have to plant, they didn't have to plant um, uh, crops and wait for them and harvest them and water them. No. God gave them manna from heaven and quail from the sky. They didn't have to dig wells and find uh, water underneath the, the desert. No, God caused water to come out of a rock for them. They didn't have to um, uh, use leather and kill their animals or anything like that to um, make shoes or clothes. No, God caused those things to last the entire time they're in the wilderness. He, they didn't even have to look at the stars to figure out how to get to the promised land. God guided them. He guided them with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. So fire to warm them by night, 
cloud to shade them by day. He gave them everything. All of God's going to, and so many other things too. So here's how we're going to humble ourselves this morning. And this might be a little awkward. I don't know. You're with people. So um, yeah, we're not in a large gathering right now where you're just staring at me, right? So it won't be that awkward. You're with people. You're you're, um, watching this on a screen somewhere. And so we're going to take a a couple minutes of silence. And uh, we're going to humble ourselves before the Lord. Because I want you to experience God this morning. And I want us to, or today, and I want us to do that together. Uh, Because um, if we can do that as a church, if we can do that as a people of God, we'll be one step closer towards consummation and participating in that with the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do is I want you to remember the good things that God has given you. Just think in the past week. I don't want you to think your entire life. Just think in the past week, what has God given? What is he, what, 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 where have I tasted and seen that the Lord is good? And we sing good, good father sometimes, or we haven't sung that in a while, but you know, you know that song. Um, but do you believe that? Where's God good? And that's the first step to humbling ourselves. Then we'll go into a second step. But guys, I, I, I want you to think, um, like I, I read an article this week about this 38-year-old woman in Hyde Park who is apparently, apparently had no health issues was out for a jog, just like she always is, and didn't come home because she collapsed under cardiac arrest. And she just died, 38 years old, left behind a husband and a six-year-old daughter and a four-year-old daughter. It's like, oh man, what, what control do we really have in our lives, right? I thought, I thought wow. So let's humble ourselves. Let's remember the good things of God. You may have been fighting with your spouses uh, today. Remember the goodness there. You know, you, you may have been arguing with your kids recently. Like, remember the goodness there that God has given you. You may hate your job. Remember that God's given you that job to be a witness to him, but he's also using it to give you food and drink and, and things that you need and even some things that you want. That you've that you that you have because I was in the hospital this week and uh, I, this is my first experience in the hospital in in Canada and uh, actually I've never been admitted to a hospital before it was my the first time and, uh, and so that was a whole new experience and they I didn't know if they would give me food um, but they gave me dinner and uh, and, and I opened it and it was pretty bad looking. Uh, but I was so grateful that I live in a country that gives me food. And it actually wasn't that bad. Um, I mean, it wasn't good, don't get me wrong. <laughs> uh, but I was so grateful that we had, because I thought, I just, I just read, um, uh, this book, One Life in the Day of Ivan Denisovich, which is about the gulags in, in Soviet Russia. 
um, yeah, 60, 70, 70 years ago now. And, uh, and, and thinking about what they get on a daily, on what they got on a daily basis, it was, it was horrendous. And, you know, thinking about um, Kybera, like this, the largest slum in Africa, the most dangerous one uh, outside of Nairobi and Kenya, just reading up on that and uh, thinking about what it looks like there. And here I am in a hospital bed and I was so grateful for this okay food that was sitting in front of me that it, it actually tasted great. I thought, because uh, I was so grateful for it. Not because it was good, but I was like, ah, oh. and I wasn't even hungry actually. And I just, I ate it because I did need some strength. But um, it's just the little things, guys. The little things like that, the small celebrations, the small amounts of gratitude you can have uh, for the things around you. So um, we're gonna take this time, one, two minutes, for you to allow the Lord to open your heart, to open your eyes to the good things around you. And I want you to thank God and give him gratitude for those things this morning or today. I keep on saying this morning because it's morning right now. Um, but I want him to give you, I want you to give him gratitude for those things. So let's take one or two minutes of silence and do that. I know that wasn't a lot of time, guys, but this is just a starter practice for you. It's how I start all of my prayers with God. I always start out by thanking Him. I don't start out by asking Him for something. I don't start out by complaining to Him about something. I always start my conversations with God with thanking Him, with thanking Him for what He's done. Just a little thing here and there, sometimes big things. Just thanking him for what he's doing and what he's done and what he's going to do. And so that's just to help you start to implement that practice because when you do that, it puts you in a posture of listening, of saying, speak, Lord, your servant hears. Because now you're not demanding that. Now you're, you're going to him in humility. 
and also prepares you to do the second thing. Because you may be saying, okay, that's, that's great. You know, it, it helped me recognize some good things, but I still got all the bad things around me. I still got all these circumstances. I still have this, this sickness. I still have these job issues. I still have these marital problems. I still have, uh, you know, um, this loneliness or this depression. I still have these things. Well, verse 7 says, Now you can cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And so once you've come to God in gratitude and in thankfulness, that's going to shape and change your perspective on the next thing. Now let's cast our anxieties on God. And, and it's like this, like you're just throwing them away. Like they're like, like not that they're meaningless, but like you don't want them anymore. Right? And, and Jesus is just catching them in his hands and he's carrying them for us. And so let's do that. Let's take one or two minutes and, and do that now and cast, uh, cast your anxieties onto God, onto the Lord Jesus Christ through, through the spirit in you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus now and you're listening to this or you're watching this, you can do that. He cares for you. He loves you. He's pursuing you. He's not just saying this is just for those who have acknowledged me. He's saying anybody can do this. Anybody can do this. But start with acknowledging him, thanking him, and then, and then going to cast your anxieties on him. So let's, let's do that together now. Uh, over one or two minutes and just give him all of your troubles, all of your worries, all of your anxieties. Again, I know that wasn't a whole lot of time. You may have just been getting started, uh, but you get to continue this later. You get to use these two things, showing gratitude to God in order to humble yourself and then cast your anxieties of God to complete that humility before God and to lay yourself down at his throne of grace and mercy and peace 
and justice and love. And so uh, take, the, take that practice and use that to inform your relationship with the Lord. He goes on to say the, the second command. He says, be sober-minded. Now he's, talked, he's mentioned this twice already in the book, which is, which is really important to him apparently, to be clear-minded, to be in a state of sobriety because he, back in chapter four, verse seven, he um, contrasts it with being drunk, right? So he says here, be sober-minded, be watchful, be vigilant, be on alert. Why? Because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This is the first time in the book of 1 Peter he's mentioned the powers of darkness, the, the kingdom of darkness. He's mentioned the kingdom of evil here. Um, he's talked about suffering a lot. Right? And a lot of times we pair evil and suffering. I'm not going to get into that right now because um, we're going to talk about it in a few weeks actually um, in our next series. Um, uh, but here Peter doesn't, Peter doesn't do that until here. So, uh, and, and, and so he says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, you know, pacing back and forth looking at his prey, seeking someone to devour. And he, he's roaring, right? And, and think about the imagery that Peter's just given us of the people of God when he talks about the chief shepherd or uh, being a shepherd of the flock of God back in verse two. And, and so we have sheep gathered. If sheep were to hear a roaring lion, uh, they would scatter, right? And so the enemy here is, is roaring to, to seed in and to cause disunity, to cause scattering, to cause fear, to cause um, uh, just poor decisions and, and so many other things. He's, 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 he's prowling around like a roaring lion. Now I've said this in the past, I'll say it again. Good news for us is, the devil here, he's just like a roaring lion, prowling around like that. Jesus is the lion of Judah. And so uh, the, 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 the devil here for the people of God, he's, he's prowling around, he's doing his roaring. Uh, he's got a lot of bark in him, right? But Jesus is the lion of Judah. He is, the, he is the king. He holds a scepter, right? He has conquered. So us as a people of God, we can rest assured in that. And, uh, but that doesn't mean we're not vigilant. That doesn't mean we're not watchful. That doesn't mean we're not sober-minded, he says. And, and we can be sober-minded because of, of what we've just done. We've humbled ourselves before the Lord. We've We've gone to him in gratitude. We've gone to him and uh, we've cast our anxieties on him. So now our minds can, can be clear. We can operate in sobriety because our anxieties aren't, aren't, aren't tossing us to and fro. Our circumstances aren't, aren't, aren't casting us here or there. 
they, we are focused on what God wants for us. Our desires are in place with his desires, right? Our will has been aligned with his will. One of the chief purposes of prayer is that your will will be aligned with the will of the Father. So that it was happening through that exercise, through us humbling ourselves before God. Now we can actually be sober-minded. It's hard to be sober-minded, guys, when all your anxieties are in your mind. It's hard to operate in the mind of Christ that way. When your circumstances are controlling you. That's why Paul says, whether in hunger, thirst, plenty, abundance, uh, scarcity, uh, in need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content, right? So he says here, uh, resist him. Resist the devil in verse 9. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So resist him. Guys, here, uh, oftentimes we use this word and we individualize it. That's a consumer mentality. We're moving to a consummation mentality here. This isn't about you resisting for your individual sins that keep on messing you up, for your porn addiction, for your, your tendency to gossip about other people and talk, talk about others behind their back, for your, your um, tendency to over-exaggerate things and to make yourself look good, for your tendency to um, be fearful of other people and what they think so you act a different way. Like, that's not what he's talking about here. This is much bigger than that. Do you think the enemy even cares about those things in your life? I don't even know that he does. Guys, that's just a sinful nature working in you. He's already taking care of that. He's like, yep, he, she, that's who they are. They're just living out their sinful nature. Do you think the devil is tempting you to, to do things? Because I only see one temptation in, in, uh, in the New Testament. I don't see a temptation of Peter. I don't see a temptation of, like we don't see the devil come to tempt all, uh, all these other people. We see him tempting Christ. And then we kind of say, oh, well, the devil's tempting us or the devil made me do it. No, your sinful nature did that on its own. Now that, you know, we can trace that back to the enemy, sure. Um, all the way back to him, but you're not, you're not a big fish. The devil's not coming to you and, and tempting you. He's not, he's not omnipresent like, like God is. He's not omniscient like God is. He's just an angel, a fallen one who rebelled. So um, when Peter's talking about that here, he's talking about something bigger. He's not saying the, the devil is tempting you to watch porn or the devil is tempting you to to speak to uh, your neighbor against your brother or sister, you know, he, n- nothing like that. He's, he's saying, okay, I've been talking about suffering for righteousness sake. And the, and the devil is prowling around. He's seeking to devour the people of God. And so the people of God need to resist him. We need to stand firm in our faith knowing that our brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing the same suffering for righteousness sake. He's not talking about your suffering for evil's sake. He's not talking about your suffering for your own sin. He's talking about suffering for righteousness sake, which brings joy and blessing. 
And the enemy wants to rob us of that. He's not talking about suffering for evil's sake, for your own sin, which brings pain and more suffering and, uh, and hurt and perpetuates brokenness. He's talking about this suffering for righteousness sake that he's been talking about the church who lives on mission for God, with God, and how we're being persecuted because of that. And so if you aren't suffering for righteousness sake, you need to go back. You need to humble yourself. You need to clothe yourself in humility for the Lord. You need to do those things in order to live on mission for God. Because you're still not sober-minded enough to do so. You're stumbling through in your drunk, in your spiritual drunkenness, you're stumbling through your relationship and your walk with God. You can't walk in a straight line. You're not on the straight path of righteousness. You're walking here, you're walking there, you're off the path, you're, you're stumbling, you're falling, all those things. Um, start with humbling yourself. Start, start there. And he says, after you've suffered for a little while, he says, it's temporary. The God of all grace has called you into his forever eternal glory in Christ will do four things. Restore. He'll bring all things right. That's what that word means. He'll bring all things right. He will confirm. Like, you know what it feels like when someone confirms you? They're empowering you. So he will empower you. He will strengthen you. And he will establish you. That word is he will lay a foundation for you. Think back in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 here, where he says, Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the foundation. Jesus back in Matthew 7 says, build your house on the rock, not on the sand. Jesus being the cornerstone means that you set everything according to that. You build your house according to this, according to Jesus. So what is your cornerstone? What does your house look like? What did your house what specs did your house get built according, according to? Because if Jesus isn't your cornerstone, if he's not your identity, then your house is off. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter where it's built. It's, it's off kilter. It's going to crumble. That's why he, he says Jesus is a cornerstone and he will establish you. He will do that if we clothe ourselves in humility. He will do that. And he ends with saying in verse 11, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And he's already, that's kind of a doxological worship, worship verse. He's already done that back in chapter four, verse 11. And, and why does he finish with that here? Well, he does it to remind us that this isn't about you. This is about Jesus. And this is about him. Peter's reminding us that we're not just consumers because cons- consuming is about you. He says we're part of consummation. It's about him. It's about Jesus Christ. And so he's giving us, he's wrapping this passage up with an eternal perspective. And guys, we can only clothe ourselves in humility when it's not about us when it's all about Jesus when we've truly given our lives over to Jesus 
because we're clothing ourselves, as Paul says in Romans 13, with Christ. And when we do that, we spread light and love and justice and peace and mercy and goodness, which we're going to talk about in the next, in the next sermon, the next few verses. So let's move together from just, being cons- from just consuming and being consumers. Let's taste and see the Lord is good, though, and then move to being partakers in the consummation of all things with our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. God, help us to humble ourselves before you. And thank you for this passage that shows us the way to do that is not just to say to ourselves, be more humble, be more humble, but it's to say, God, thank you. It's to depend on you. It's to recognize your authority. It's to recognize your goodness. And then it's to give you all of our cares, all of our worries, all of our concerns, and trust that your desires are the best desires and that we want those. And so as a church, thank you that we even exist, especially through all that the church has been through this past uh, year plus. And we cast our anxieties on you for the future and know that whatever happens, we want your will to be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in your name. Amen.